0: The following audio has been brought to you by Word of Grace Community Church. For more information about Word of Grace, visit WOGCC.com. All
1: right, so we're starting a brand new series this morning called Death to Selfie. You guys know what a selfie is, taking picture duck faced, right? With the cell phone. And man, I did some research and Google said that there were over 24 billion selfies that were taken in 2016. That were uploaded to social media. Those are just the ones that got uploaded, because you know you take like 20 before you choose one to upload. All right, so I mean, that is a lot of pictures of ourselves, a lot of pictures of ourselves. And as I was thinking about this series, I was thinking about this, this first message that I wanted to talk about, and the scripture that came to mind was James chapter 1 and verse 23. And 24, where scripture says this If anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in the mirror. For he looks at himself and he goes away at once and forgets what he looks like. All right? Now, when you take a picture of yourself or when you look in the mirror, if you feel like you look good, you're not going to forget what you look like. As a matter of fact, if you feel like you look good and you're going out on a date, you're going out on a date and you're feeling like, man, I'm, I look sharp tonight. You want to make sure you stay looking sharp, don't you? Oh, maybe it was a little windy outside on the walk to the restaurant, out of the car to get inside. You want to go to the restroom, just check. Got to make sure all your hair's, well, got to make sure that everything is still in place, right? You have to make sure that everything is still, the, you know, looking good because you feel good about what you see and you want to have that confidence that you feel like things are going good. The only time I could ever think that someone would look in a mirror and forget what they look like or want to forget what they look like is when they don't like what they see, right? I see something that's uncomfortable. I see something that I'm confronted with that I'm like, oh, yeah, I, don't, I don't want to see that. And as we think about being confronted with sin, I think that there are certain sins that when the mirror is held up in front of us, we can see the reflection of that sin pretty well. There are certain sins that we just see. I mean, if you're a liar, you know you're lying. You can see that reflection when you're confronted with that fact. There's no escaping it. If you're an adulterer and you're confronted with that sin, it's hard to escape that. You're pretty much seeing that reflection, and there's no denying it or escaping it. If if you're a thief, even, you can oftentimes see the reflection of that sin when that mirror is held up and you're confronted with your sin. But however... There are certain sins that I believe that are dangerous uh, to our heart because we can't see them when the mirror is held up. Someone can be trying to show us something. The Lord can be trying to show us something. Our spouse can be trying to show us something. The Word of God can be trying to show us something. A friend who cares about us could be trying to show us something and we don't see it, even though he's trying to help us to see in the mirror the reflection of our sin so that we can repent and be healed of that and forgiven of that, but we don't see it. And I think greed is something that doesn't see itself, doesn't see its own reflection. A lot of people that are greedy don't see that they're greedy. A lot of people that are prideful oftentimes don't see pride. They don't see the prideful ambition in their heart. Uh, Even if it's held up to them, they don't see it. Another sin that's often put in front of us that we may not see that can't really see its own reflection is maybe even gossip because we say, oh, I'd tell the truth to their face anyways. And so we justify it and we don't see ourselves as doing anything wrong. We don't see the sin. We don't see anything wrong with it. And we justify it away, so therefore we have a hard time seeing the reflection. But the thing that I feel like is really deep-seated in our hearts that when we get confronted with, that I really want to talk about today, that when that mirror is held up, we struggle with seeing the reflection is selfishness. We oftentimes don't see selfishness in the mirror. We always think that someone else is the problem. We always think that it's someone else that needed to be here to hear this message. Oh, I wish that my friend or my spouse or my coworker or my boss or my this or my that was here to hear to listen to this sermon today, and we never consider perhaps God is speaking to you today. We always want to defer and think God is speaking to someone else, and that's because often we can't see the reflection. We don't see that God's actually trying to help us to see something in the mirror. He's wanting us to see something He's wanting to deal with in our hearts, but yet when we see it, we quickly want to turn away from it because we go, that's not me. Or we want to justify and rationalize our good deeds and all of the trophies that we want to polish in order to make ourselves a case to why we're so good. And God, look at how good I am. At least I'm not as bad as so-and-so. At least I don't you know, beat my wife like my neighbor. At least I don't uh, you know, yell at my kids like my friend or my brother or my sister does. Or at least I have this a position in the company, and people think well of me. At least I go to church this much. At least I try to be a good person. And we polish those trophies in front of God, and God's the whole time trying to show us something in us that needs to change. And instead, we want to polish our trophies to feel better about ourselves. Instead of dealing with the sin God's wanting to deal with in our hearts to help us to grow, to help us to change. And we miss that oftentimes. And I think it's because we live in a selfie-driven world. You know, we're interested in ourselves and our lives show how important we think we are. Our Facebook pages show how important we think we are, how important our opinion is, how much our comfort and getting our way truly is, how much we want to avoid discomfort or anything that's not going our way and how we think everything should always be going our way and how our opinion or our viewpoint of the world is always the correct one and we always want to interject that and try to sway everyone over to our way because we've made it about ourselves and here's the question that we have to ask ourselves here's the question that we need to be confronted with today all of us how can we have a god first life in a me first world that's the challenge because we all know that we're supposed to have a god first life do we not We've all heard messages preached on Matthew 6 and 33. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you, right? We know we're supposed to seek first the kingdom of God. If someone were to ask you, hey, what are your priorities? What's most important? Out of obligation, we would put God first in the list, would we not? But would the way we live our lives and the attitudes of our heart reflect that God was first? Or would we feel that just saying that God was first, because we know He's supposed to be first, we would just feel that's good enough, that at least we acknowledge that and we know that. And whether or not we actually live a God-first life in a me-first world, that's irrelevant, as long as I acknowledge that I know I'm supposed to live for God first. You see, we acknowledge God with our lips, and we deny Him with our lifestyle, and our choices, and our priorities. But yet, the challenge is, how are we going to do this? How are we going to grow in living a God-first life in a me-first world? And that's what I want us to walk away with today is how can we do this? And I want to help us all to grow in how we can live God-first in our life in a world that's very much me-first. You know, we have to teach our children to say please and thank you. We don't have to teach them to say mine. No one sits down and says, now that's yours, now you grab it and say mine. No one teaches their kids that. That comes pre-programmed. They come out of the box like that, right? They're already programmed. It's all about me. Wah! Right? Feed me. Me, 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 me. And then as they get older, if you don't teach them contrary to how they naturally come programmed to be me first, they won't learn that on their own. They will not learn how to... Be polite or be uh, ethical or be generous. They're thinking about their own survival. They're thinking about how they can make their lives more comfortable. They're thinking about how they want to own things, how they want to be at the top. They want to have the stuff that they need and that they feel like they're entitled to. And that will be what drives their lives. And sadly, it's what drives so many of our lives. Instead of recognizing that, hey, man, there's a sinful nature, something that comes pre-programmed in us that makes me want to live life and make life all about myself. There's something in us, and it's that sin nature, that fallen nature that we got from Adam and Eve that when they fell in the garden, that because sin entered in the world, now we all have this fleshly nature as Scripture refers to the flesh or the selfish. Desire the selfish heart of man. Living me first is a miserable lifestyle, and it doesn't work. It doesn't work. You can try it, and so many people do. They want to make life all about them, and they're chasing temporary victory after temporary victory after temporary victory, and then when the new wears off, they feel empty again. And it's a cycle of just trying to win and a cycle of trying to have more than someone else. As a matter of fact, C.S. Lewis says this in Mere Christianity. He said, pride gets no pleasure out of having something, only out of having it more than the next man. It is the comparison that makes you proud, the pleasure of being above the rest. He said, it's not really the thing that you thought you wanted that brings you the pleasure or the satisfaction, instead, what really brings us the pleasure is the fact that we know we have it more than someone else, or the fact that maybe we're doing better in the comparison trap than another person, and we can allow ourselves to get so wrapped up in making life all about me, and serving me, and getting my way, and the things that I feel like always have to be. But here's the thing, folks. God's priority, it's different. His order of priority is so much different than a me-first, me-centered world, a me-centered lifestyle. God's order of priority is different. Matter of fact, in Matthew 19 and verse 30, Jesus said it like this. He said that those who are first are actually going to be last, and those who are last those are actually going to be first. You see, God's order of priority is so much different than what our world would want to paint. It's so much different than what marketers would want to paint because marketing is oftentimes trying to appeal to me and to I. Why do you think we have an iPhone and an iPad and an iWatch? It's all about me and I. Why do you think there's so much customization in the world? We want everything custom-tailored to us. And then we watch HGTV and see custom countertops and custom cabinets and custom kitchens and we go, I want that. Because we think that in order for us to be happy and satisfied, that's what we have to have. It's all about me and all about I and that becomes our priority and we think it's all about I and we chase after that stuff. But God's order of priority is so much different than the way that the world would want to try to market and paint what's really important. Wouldn't you agree? You see... Matthew 6 and 33 gives a different priority. If you look at Matthew 6 and 33 in context, you see that Jesus was actually referring to the fact that the disciples were worried about where they were going to sleep or what they were going to eat or what they were going to wear because they knew following Jesus had a cost. And they were like, okay, we're kind of, you know, living like homeless now. (laughs) And Jesus is like, what are you guys looking for? Don't you know that if you're with me, I'm going to take care of you? And they said, yeah, but, but you know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to wear? What they were worried about these things. And Jesus picked up on that. And he said, don't worry about what you're going to eat, where you're going to sleep, what you're going to wear. He said, don't you know that I'm aware you have need of all these things? In other words, don't you trust me? Instead, he said this. He says, why don't you just seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness? And all these other things will be added unto you. Those things will take care of themselves if you put God's priority in your heart and order first, and that's seeking Him first. There's tons of other passages, too, that give us a different priority than what we naturally want to have. But the results of selfish living come out when we become angry. We become frustrated for not getting our way. We want to change other people, because they're the problem, right? We want to change other people. You know, We want to try to manipulate, maybe, or gossip. Or we do things without thinking that, it has any kind of effect on other people. And there's so many other destructive habits that are the fruit of a heart that is set on self. But when we're confronted with the reflection of our selfishness, guess what? It's not the end of the world. You have options. When we're confronted with ourselves, we do have options. When we see that reflection, we can ignore what we see in the mirror and we can try to look away, or we can see the ugliness of our sin for what it is and allow that pride And allow that selfishness to be broken. And this is where you lose a lot of people, right here. This is where a lot of people don't want to look in the mirror. Because brokenness comes from confrontation. And when we're confronted, we don't like the confrontation. We don't want to jump in and allow the Holy Spirit, either through the Word or through our spouse or through a close friend or even through a message like this, to confront us in a way that we would want to allow ourselves to submit to that and be broken. Instead, we want to get away from the discomfort as quickly as possible. Kind of like the gym. We know that going to the gym will bring about a certain desired effect and eating a clean diet will bring about a certain effect. We know that. You don't have to tell us that or convince us of that. We know eating healthy and exercising is good for us, right? Then why don't we do it? Why why is it a struggle? because we don't want to endure the discomfort. That's really all it boils down to. We would rather have our version of comfort than the health benefits that would come through making those choices because there's pain attached to that outcome. There's discomfort attached to that outcome. There's something that I'm gonna have to go through that I'm probably not gonna enjoy all that much. And it's the same thing in growing in your relationship with the Lord. You know, we got to get over this idea that being a Christian is this big flowery thing where everything goes your way. You know, we got to get over this thing where we think that it's all about us and it's all about me and it's all about God just doing for me what I think God needs to do. You know, for God to really do what He wants to do in us and through us is going to cause us to be confronted with ourselves and go through seasons of brokenness. That means seasons of discomfort. That means stuff that's not fun. That means stuff that's probably going to be painful when it comes up. But it's not done because God is angry with you or because God wants to humiliate you or shame you because that's not the heart of God at all. It's done because He loves you. It's painful for you, but He's doing it out of love because He knows that there's so much more on the other side of that pain than what you can see. And if you trust Him through that pain, if you trust Him through that confrontation, if you trust Him through that brokenness, He will rebuild you and strengthen you in a way that will help you to heal and be more whole and free than you were before. We want freedom, and we want healing, and we want wholeness, and we want joy, and we want contentment. But so many times we don't want to go through pain to get to it. So many times we just want God to do these things in us, and we just wake up one day, and it's like He sprinkled fairy dust on us. And all of a sudden we're so patient, we're so kind, we're so loving, we're so generous, we're so forgiving, we're so selfless, we have this great servant's heart, just because we just had this aha moment. No, you need to see the ugliness of the sin that has kept you away from those things that God really wants you to experience because it's for your good and His glory. But there's pain in between, and we don't want the pain. We want the result, just like we do when we look for the instant peel. We look for the, you know, the new fad thing, the fad diet that's going to help us to you know, look like a supermodel or whatever. And we convince ourselves there's no pain involved. That's not true. Brokenness comes from confrontation, and growth comes from brokenness. You know that there's a story in Scripture where God refers to us as jars of clay and how he's the potter and how we're on that potter's wheel and we are vessels to be used for his glory. You know that sometimes the potter takes those vessels that have been on that potter's wheel, that have gone through the fire, that have been refined, and he breaks them down. And takes those broken pieces and and puts them back on the wheel and begins to still shape and mold them to strengthen the vessel. To strengthen the vessel because the vessel needs to be strong for what its purpose is. And a lot of times, folks, we don't want to go through the brokenness and we want to avoid it, but yet it will make us stronger. I heard one of the uh, folks in Haiti that was uh, one of the... the the staff people there that worked at My Life Speaks when we went on the mission trip this past summer, she said something that stuck out to me and and I've thought about this many times since that trip back in August. She said what happens in Haiti to you is that you are extremely vulnerable because you're with a small group of people that speak your language and understand you at some level and you have to depend on those people. Because you don't know anyone else, you don't know who to trust, And you can't speak their language. And so you are very vulnerable. You are extremely vulnerable in that week that you're there on that trip. And because you're so vulnerable, God begins to do things in you and show you things about yourself that he wants to help you to grow in that you hadn't seen otherwise because when he would try to hold the mirror up, you couldn't see it. But because you're exposed, because you're vulnerable, when you see the mirror, there's nowhere else to run. (laughs) you know, where are you going <laughs> to run? You're going to run to, you know, your small little group. There's nothing to hide behind anymore. It's like it exposes ugliness in you, it exposes selfishness in you. It exposes greed in you. It, it exposes consumerism in you. And you see these things that you're like, oh man, how selfish have I been? And you start to see things that you didn't see before. Well, you don't need a trip to Haiti to be confronted with selfishness. But the thing that girl said that really stuck out to me was, God shows you that and you're broken over it. And then he uses that week to not just break you but to build you up. And then you'll see something else and you'll get broken over it. And then you'll get built back up. And then you get broken and you get built back up. Everybody that went on our trip just about had an ugly cry moment where we're sharing something that we saw happen that day. Or something that God was doing and they just broke down and started crying. They may not have even known why they're crying. But it's because they're vulnerable. And their heart was out there for the Lord to begin to work on. Because they were confronted with something in themselves that they saw maybe in the life of another person. Or that God used another person to help them see something in in their own heart. And they had to submit to it because there was nowhere else to run. Where are you going to (laughs) go, you know? You can't go turn on the TV. There's no TV to turn on go escape. You can't go drown it in the liquor store. You can't run to the liquor store. You, you can't go hang out with all your friends and just try to stay busy and not allow God to confront your heart because your friends are all back in the U.S. and you've got this small little group of people that you're, you're, you're having to be real and vulnerable with. And while God's wrecking you, what are you going to do when you're confronted? Are you going to allow God to do that brokenness work in you, even though it is painful, even though man, it makes you confront some things that aren't fun, but it's for your benefit. God did this in me through this book that I have gone through with, uh, with some men in our church that are uh, on our staff and then the husbands of the female staff at our church. We, we did a group as well as I have another uh, accountability group that I'm a part of as the pastor of this church. I have an accountability board and, and, and they kind of started off going through this book as well as this other group that I'm a part of. And uh, this book was about marriage, and it's called Discovering the Mind of a Woman. It's by an author named Ken Nair. So if you want to write that down, Discovering the Mind of a Woman by Ken Nair, it's a fantastic book. And it's not one of those like men are from Mars, women are from Venus things. It's not like that. Um, this is like legit. This is, I've read my fair share of marriage materials, and, and I've been to my fair share of marriage conferences, and I've taught on marriage quite a bit. And this is the best thing I've ever read on the planet about uh, being Christ-like in uh, your relationship with your spouse and your relationship with God. And what it did was when I read it, one of the first things the book says is that reading this book is going to make you want to throw the book across the room multiple times as you're reading it. That's very true. This book was a gut punch for me and for my staff and for my board that went through it. And what it did is it showed me how selfish I had been in my relationship from my expectations with my wife, how I had not been Christ-like with, very, with attitudes or reactions or uh, things I would say in the way I would say it, or my expectations. I wasn't being very Christ-like in a lot of those moments because I'm called to love my wife as Christ loved the church and Christ gave himself for the church. And for me to love my wife in that way, I, th- I thought this was about me and my wants and my needs getting met. And I thought this was about me getting what me want because me work hard. (laughs) You know, me do good. (laughs) Me come home, you do what I want, right? Kids, you do what me want. And that's how I thought that it worked. And it doesn't work that way. And 16 years later, here I am learning that I have really put some space between my wife and I and I had really hurt her in ways I didn't even realize I had hurt her because I thought I was doing good because comparatively to other people that I would want to view and say, oh, they're not doing so good. I could say I was doing pretty good. But who said that other people are the standard? Hello, somebody. Who said that other people are the standard? Did God say, hey, compare yourselves to other people, judge them up and down, and uh, see how you're better than they are and feel good about yourself? I don't find that in the Bible. I don't see that in Scripture. Scripture. Matter of fact, I said, hey, what I do see in Scripture is instead of focusing on the dust in your brother's eye, why don't you focus on the stinking log that's in your own eye? That's what I do see in Scripture. And so this book, God used it to confront me with the log that was in my eye. And at first, it didn't make me immediately get down on my knees and repent. At first, it made me mad. At first, that flesh reacted because you know what? That flesh does not want to be confronted. The flesh doesn't want to die. And when it feels like it's being put in a vice, it's going to squeal. It's going to scream, and it's going to get uglier before it gets better because that flesh doesn't want to die. The flesh likes getting what the flesh wants. And when you tell the flesh no, it's like that little kid that you hear in Walmart that's in the toy section not getting the toy that it wanted from Mama. He or she is screaming their lungs out. And you're like, somebody better do something with that kid. I'll tell you what, that was my kid. <laughs> but here's the thing: is that Jesus said this, Matthew 16 and 24. If anyone would come after me, let him first deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Now, notice what Jesus didn't say. Maybe you read it too fast. Jesus didn't say, take up my cross. Whose cross did Jesus say to take up? Yours. Why? Why would I take up a cross, Jesus? Because something's going to die. Because something's going to be put to death. And the cost of following Christ is death to self. Oh, let me say that again. The cost of following Christ is death to self because it's not about you, it's about Him. Amen, somebody? So many people, they don't like that part of Christianity. Let's not talk about that. Let's talk about 10 steps to a happier, healthier, wealthier, better, whatever. They don't want to talk about being confronted with sin and being broken over it. But yet the pathway to healing is through brokenness. The pathway through redemption is through confrontation of sin and seeing my sin and seeing myself in the mirror and seeing the reflection and allowing myself to be broken over it, not justifying it, not blaming it, not putting it off, but instead being broken over it and saying, okay, Jesus, I'm going to deny myself. It's no longer about me. I'm going to take up my cross and I'm going to die daily to self. Sometimes it's moment by moment, is it not? That we need to die to ourself. Because you may be in a situation that's not favorable to your comfort. What are you going to do about it? Are you going to react, get a pity party, blame everybody, get angry, get frustrated? Things aren't going your way. People aren't making decisions you want them to make. People don't see the world your way. What are you going to do about it? Jesus said, if you want to follow me, deny yourself. So in other words, I'm going to respond and I'm going to act and I want to react the way that Christ would have me. Because I want to grow in Christ likeness in my attitude, in my actions, in my reactions. But for me to truly be Christ-like, i first got to be broken. And for me to be broken, I've got to be confronted. And for me to be confronted, I've got to look a little longer in the mirror instead of run away from it. Because some of you may be in this service right now, and you may be squirming because we're talking about selfishness and confrontation. You're like, I want to get out of here. Isn't there like a football game on? Isn't there something else I could rather be doing? I'll come back when it's happy, fluffy, holding hands and shiny, happy people holding hands. Let's talk about that, right? Well, listen, folks, this is healthy and this is for our benefit because Jesus did not say, take up your own cross to shame you. He didn't say, take up your cross and deny yourself and follow me. He didn't say that to make you feel like you're a failure. That's not our God. That's not his intent. His intent is for us to see the ugliness in the mirror so we can see how good he is instead of focusing on our good. Sometimes we don't see the cost of following Jesus because we think we're doing enough good. And the good we do blinds us from seeing our need for Jesus. The good that we do blinds us from seeing the fact that we need him and it blinds us from seeing the ugliness of our sin because we get in the comparison trap and we focus on our good and we polish our trophies. And we say, look at all the good I've done. I'm not, I'm not that bad. And that's what I thought. I thought looking at my marriage and looking at the way my wife and I interact, I thought I was doing pretty good. But when I was confronted with my selfishness, I realized i got to repent. I realized I need to be broken over my attitude and my behavior and the way I've reacted and the way I've acted, even to the point to where God began to show me instances that happened two, three years ago. That I had to go back to my wife. And these weren't like deal breakers, like big knockdown, drag out fights, just stuff I knew that wounded her heart that I didn't recognize wounded her heart that I never apologized for. We just swept it under the rug and kept on trucking down the road. But when God showed me those things because of the position of my heart, it was hurtful and it was ugly and I wanted to justify it. But I could have looked in the mirror and walked away or I could have looked in the mirror and I could have said, okay, what are you trying to do, God. And God was wanting me to make it right. So I went to my wife and brought up things that she had long forgotten about. That the Holy Spirit of God told me, you need to go and repent to your wife about this. Because of the way that you spoke to her that day. Or the attitude that you had on this trip that you took. And how you made the trip miserable because you weren't getting your way. And I had to go back and say, hey, you remember that trip we took? I was a jerk on that trip. And I never told you I was sorry for being a jerk. She said, well, she said, I just assumed we were never going to take that trip again to that place. (laughs) Because I didn't want to go on the trip. And I thought I had won because I got my way. I made her have a miserable enough time and I complained about it enough to where my complaining made her say, I never want to do that again. Cha-ching, I win. And that's what I thought. And we just swept it under the rug, kept on moving, she just chalked it up as a bad trip. I chalked it up as a victory, because <laughs> I knew we would never have to go do a trip like that again because I didn't want to do it in the first place. felt like it was a waste of money, waste of time. And I let her know that over and over and over and over again at every opportunity I could, And I made it a miserable experience. And I had to go back to her and say, "Hey, you remember that trip?" <laughs> yeah Yeah. That will forever be in the history of the Armstrong family trip as the Derek was a jerk trip. <laughs> I recognize I did that because of selfishness. And, and here's what God is doing. I, I repented to her, I repented to God, and I repented to my wife. And here's what's happened as a result. What's happened as a result is when you're confronted with sin, if you allow that to break you to where you're not just saying sorry. I'm not talking about saying sorry. Like, you know, like when you tell your kids, like, go tell your sister that you're sorry. Sorry. Now give her a hug. <laughs> I'm not talking about that because nobody believes that, right? We know that's not genuine. That's not, that's not legit. I'm talking about like a genuine, like, you're broken over this. Like, oh my gosh. I realize what I've done and how it's affected you. And I realize these, even these years, like when I even recognize things in me, like when she would say certain things and how I would respond with my hands. I'd just be like, I'd look at her like she was dumb. like, Little things like that that God was convicting me, you're telling her she's dumb when you're looking at her like, what? Or you didn't know that? Or what? Yeah, you're pushing her away little by little by little by little by little by little over time. Lord, forgive me for those things. Forgive me for those attitudes. I have to see how ugly that is. Instead of going, oh, it's not a big deal. At least I'm not doing this and this and this and this. Who said that was the goal? Hello, somebody? Am I treating my wife like Christ would treat my wife? Because my Bible tells me I'm supposed to love her as Christ loved the church. So that means I need to love her in a Christ-like way. What type of woman wouldn't love a man like that, right? So I have to be that kind of man. And she's helping me grow and be that kind of man. But for me to grow, I've got to be broken. Not just once. (laughs) It's not like a one-time deal. (laughs) It's like you see the ugliness of your sin, and when you see the ugliness, you don't run away from it. Instead, you submit and you say, God, what are you trying to show me? Help me to see it. Help me to deny myself. Deny myself. Take up my cross and follow you. You see, the confrontation comes from the Word of God and the Holy Spirit. But you won't be broken until you're willing to see it. And often, the point where people are willing to see their sinfulness is when we feel we're about to lose something. Or when we've lost something. That's when we're finally willing to see it. We're finally willing to wake up and go, oh man. Whoa! I finally see it. I've got to do something. But that's when we get to that point. That's the only time we'll often submit to that because it's got to get really, really bad before sometimes we'll see it because the mirror's been trying to be held up and we just haven't seen it. God's been trying to show us, God's been trying to help us grow. But here's the thing when we look to God and stop blaming other people and look in the mirror and finally see ourselves as we truly are, it wasn't the other person that needed to change. If, we're stop, if, we'll, if, if we'll just stop blaming other people and stop trying to justify ourselves. Because when we do that, we're so blind. Revelation 3 and verse 16 and 17, the writer John says this to the church in Laodicea. He says, because you're lukewarm, neither hot or cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. You say, I'm rich. This is what he said the church is saying. He's, he's writing this to the church in Laodicea. And the church was saying, hey, I am rich. I have grown wealthy and I need nothing. But here's what Jesus said to them. But here's what you don't realize. You think you've got it all together, but you don't. You think because of your material wealth and because of how much more you have than the other person that you're doing well. He said, but what you don't realize is that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind and naked. And that verse goes on to say where Christ says to the church in Laodicea, he says, come and get eye salve from me so you can anoint your eyes so you can see. Come buy from me gold that was refined in the fire so you can know what true wealth is. Come and let me clothe you with my righteousness to cover your nakedness. In other words, what Jesus was saying is that you don't think you need me, but you do need me. You don't see the things you need to see because you're blind. But if you will see your need for me, I'll give you what you need. That's love right there. That's not condemnation. That's not shame. That's love. That's love trying to give us what we don't see that we need. That's love saying, I see something you don't see, and I'm trying to show you stop running away from it and start embracing what I'm trying to do because I'm trying to help you grow. Stop running away from it because it's uncomfortable, because you don't like it because it's too challenging. Embrace it because I love you and I'm wanting you to grow. It's going to sting, yeah, but it's going to help you grow because that flesh doesn't want to go down without a fight. But confrontation ultimately brings healing and freedom. That's what it ultimately brings. Confrontation ultimately is going to bring freedom and it's going to bring healing. And here's the beauty of it. Not only to you, But to those that you have damaged in your wake, you can actually begin to heal relationships with other people that were strained because of selfishness. Even if you weren't necessarily the one driving it at fault. If you will lay down your pride and stop being selfish and serve another and love them and care about them. And forgive them and, 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 and be Christ-like in your heart towards them and allow God to show you that drinking poison and hoping someone else dies or gets sick doesn't work. And that you holding on to the anger and the bitterness has is, is begun to become a stronghold in your life. And holding on to that is not healthy for you. So God's trying to show you something. Not trying to show them something. He's trying to show you something. He's trying to confront you with selfishness. He's trying to confront you with sinfulness. He's trying to confront you, not because he's mad at you. Not because he's disappointed in you. Because he loves you and he's wanting you to be free. But he knows that for you to be free, you've got to lay it down. The purpose of being confronted is to heal you and help heal others. It's for your freedom. It's for your benefit. And ultimately, it's for the glory of God. That's why you're being confronted. But how you respond to the confrontation will either help or hinder your growth as a a Christian, as a follower of Jesus. It'll either help or hinder your growth into Christ's likeness. How you respond to the mirror. How are you going to respond to the mirror? Are you willing to see your reflection in the mirror so God can break you of selfishness, break you of negativity, break you of poisonous words that have hurt a lot of people? You see if you see your sin repent and allow God to heal you. You you can repair and heal broken relationships. You haven't been happy for a while maybe, then you need to allow the word and the spirit of God to confront you to break unrealistic and selfish expectations so you can be happy and you can serve other people instead of wondering why you're not being served. This is the gospel in action convicting people of sin, breaking us of ourselves, dying to our selfishness, and being healed and raised to new life with Christ. But the confrontation is painful because the flesh doesn't want to die. That selfish nature and selfish heart doesn't want to let it go. It wants to be fed. It wants to be nurtured. The flesh wants to keep you a prisoner. It wants to hurt you, and it wants to hurt other people. But it's time for you to grow in freedom. Don't run away from the confrontation. Humble yourself. Submit to what God is telling you, what He's showing you, and allow it to bring you to repentance. So, Kristen is going to sing a song, Here's My Heart, Lord. And allow this to be a time of reflection and repentance. If God's moving you to repentance, maybe you need to turn around and get on your knees in your chair. Maybe you need to come up here and make some kind of altar up here where you lay stuff down, and you need to get up out of your chair. You need to come and move. I don't know what you need to do. I'm not going to try to dictate for you what you need to do or pressure you into doing something. All I know is that God is moving on your heart, that you need to respond. You don't need to walk away from the mirror. Let God do His work in you. Let's do some heart work. Let's submit to what the Lord is doing. Mm. Mm-hmm. Thank you for this opportunity, God, that you've given us to be confronted with ourselves. We thank you for this opportunity that you have yet again graciously, graciously given us where you haven't given up on us and you haven't said, well, I guess they're never going to get it. No, you've said, here's yet another opportunity to respond. Another opportunity to respond to the grace of God. Another opportunity to respond to the gospel that would say, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we don't get your love because of what we do, but rather in spite of what we do, you have chosen first to love us before we ever had a say in the matter. That you said that you loved us, even though knowing that we would be blasphemers, that we would be... Liars, that we would be manipulators, that we would be selfish. You still said, I'm going to love them anyway enough to die on the cross for that very sin so that they could be raised a new life, so that they could know what it is to live free from the chains of that sin, so that they could know what it's like to truly, truly be a new creation, to have a relationship with a holy and perfect God even though they themselves aren't perfect, even though themselves are very flawed, that we're still loved by someone who is perfect and holy, without shame, without condemnation. For There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Thank you, Jesus. Speak what is true, Lord. Help us to see what we need to see, Jesus. Do the hard work, Lord, in all of us. Thank you, Lord. Thanks
0: for listening to this sermon from Word of Grace. For more sermons or any other information, visit wogcc.com.